Appendix I of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Janie Whitfield from Traditions in Biloxi, Mississippi. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell. Appendix I. Boswell most likely never knew that in the year 1790, Mr. Seward, in the name of Cadell, the publisher, had asked Parr to write a life of Johnson. Parr, in his amusing vanity, was as proud of this life as if he had written it. It would have been, he said, the third most learned work that has ever yet appeared, the most learned work ever published, I consider Bentley, on the epistles of Phalaris the next salmasius on the hellenistic language alluding to boswell's life he continued mine should have been not the droppings of his lips but the history of his mind in the epitaph that he first sent in were found the words probabili poetae in arms wrote parr for all the johnsonians malone stevens sir w scott wyndham and even fox all in arms the epithet was cold they do not understand it, and I am a scholar, not a Bell's Letters man. Parr had wished to pass over all notice of Johnson's poetical character. To this, Malone said, none of his friends of the literary club would agree. He pointed out also that Parr had not noticed that part of Johnson's genius, which placed him on higher ground than perhaps any other quality that can be named, the universality of his knowledge the promptness of his mind in producing it on all occasions in conversation and the vivid eloquence with which he clothed his thoughts however suddenly called upon parr regardless of johnson's rule that in lapidary inscriptions a man is not upon oath replied that if he mentioned his conversation he should have to mention also his roughness in contradiction etc as for the epithet probability he never reflected upon it without almost a triumphant feeling in its felicity. Nevertheless, he would change it into poetae sententiarum et verborum ponderibus admirabile. Yet these words, energetic and sonorous though they were, fill one with a secret and invincible loathing, because they tend to introduce into the epitaph a character of magnificence. With every fresh objection, he rose in importance he wrote for the approbation of real scholars of generations yet unborn that the epitaph was written by such or such a man will from the publicity of the situation and the popularity of the subject be long remembered no objection seemed to have been raised to the five pompous lines of perplexing dates and numerals in which no room is found even for johnson's birth and birthplace after i had written the epitaph wrote parr to a friend Sir Joshua Reynolds told me there was a scroll. I was in a rage. A scroll? Why, Ned, this is vile modern contrivance. I wanted one train of ideas. What could I do with the scroll? Johnson held it, and Johnson must speak it. I thought of this, his favorite maxim in the life of Milton. Greek. Ati toi in megarosi kakon to agathon te te tai in homer you know and shewing the excellence of moral philosophy there johnson and socrates agreed mr seward hearing of my difficulty and no scholar 
suggested the closing line in the rambler had i looked there i should have anticipated the suggestion it is the closing line in dionysus's perigesis greek anton ek macaron antaxios i adopted it and gave seward the praise oh quoth sir william scott greek macaron is heathenish and the dean and chapter will hesitate the more fools they said i but to prevent disputes i have altered it greek in macaresi bonum and taxios ein amoibai though the inscription on the scroll is not strictly speaking part of the epitaph yet this mixture of greek and latin is open to the censure johnson passed on pope's epitaph on craig's it may be proper to remark he said the absurdity of joining in the same inscription latin and english or verse and prose if either language be preferable to the other let that only be used for no reason can be given why part of the information should be given in one tongue and part in another on a tomb more than on any other place or on any other occasion bacon the sculptor was anxious wrote malone that posterity should know that he was entitled to annex r a to his name parr was ready to give his name lest if it were omitted bacon should slyly put the figure of a hog on johnson's monument just as cyrus and betrachus when octavia would not give them leave to set their names on the temples they had built in rome scattered one of them greek sauri lizards and the other greek betrachoi frogs on the bases and capitals of the columns but as for the r a the sculptor very reluctantly had to agree to its omission. End of section 58 End of the Life of Samuel Johnson Volume 4 by James Boswell